Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Succession and Exit Planning, a Holistic Approach. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH. With decades of experience in successions, mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures, AGH's Succession and Exit Planning team is here to help clients do it right. Given the implications and its importance, AGH has built up the resources and expertise to offer a holistic and comprehensive, yet tailored and straightforward process for business owners. Today's speakers are Brian Ginch, Daniel White, and Todd Richardson. Brian Ginch is the Vice President of AGH Wealth Management. He understands entrepreneurs and specializes in customizing portfolios to manage their appetite for risk versus return while maintaining the objectives of wealth accumulation and preservation. Daniel White is an organizational development consultant in AGH's Organizational Development and Family Business Services Group. Daniel assists organizations with their organizational development needs, including strategic and operational planning, leadership development, and employee engagement efforts. Todd Richardson is the Vice President of Corporate Finance Services here at AGH and leads our mergers and acquisitions and corporate finance services teams. He works with family-owned and closely held entrepreneurial businesses which are developing exit strategies and undergoing ownership transitions. Today's topic focuses on a holistic approach to succession planning. Business leaders often approach a succession and exit planning at the last minute, not considering the wide-ranging implications of their decisions and failing to take a holistic view of the process. In this session, our team of experts from three different fields will outline the range of areas to consider when planning for a business succession or exit and provide a process for a successful transition. Thank you for joining us today in the webinar about a holistic view of succession planning. We have three main objectives today. First of all, to identify the key areas to consider in succession and exit planning. Second, to understand a holistic view of succession and exit planning. And third, to learn the process for a successful business transition. Our hope today is that we're gonna be able to look um, and provide you with a high level look at the succession and exit planning process so that we're able to walk away knowing what areas to think about as you plan for the future. This is only a 60-minute webinar, so we're not going to have time to go into lots of details on how to implement all of these ideas, but you should, at the end of today's webinar, be able to walk away with a good grasp on the process and what to consider as you go through this succession planning process. So as we get started, we'd like to have our first polling question. We'd like to know, okay, where are you at in the succession planning process currently? Are you just gathering information? Are you starting to make preliminary plans? Do you already have a plan? Maybe you're executing a plan right now or you're at some other stage. So go ahead and take a second to answer this first poll. And remember we have a couple polls here today and you have to answer at least four of them in order to get credits today. So we'll keep the poll open for just a couple more moments to be able to uh, get everyone to participate here. All right, it looks like we've got the majority of everyone here. And we'll go ahead and close that poll. It looks like more than half of you are just gathering information at this time. Um, uh, other people are starting to make plans and already have a plan. No one is really executing their plan yet, though. So that's interesting to know. And 13% say other. So I'll be interested to know um, what that is that you guys are doing. Maybe you're just here for some credit or to get some understanding and you're not actually involved in that planning process. But whatever stage that you're at, um, 
it's helpful to know here some succession planning truths. So first of all, um, some key things for you to know, all closely held businesses have to transition ownership. So this is opposed to a publicly held company like GE in which the ownership is transferred on a public exchange. And so the vast majority of businesses in the US are actually closely held and not publicly traded. So the majority of companies that um, are in the, the, the US will have to face ownership transition at some point. So this is a really important topic that applies to a large number of people here in the US. Second, many times people think of ownership and management succession as the same thing, but they're really not. They are two distinct processes that can happen um, distinctly from one another, but both of them really need to be addressed. So for instance, in the typical family business that we might deal with, the founder may choose to transition her day-to-day -day management responsibilities to her son, but then remain the majority shareholder until some point in the future. So we're gonna be talking about both ownership and management transition today as we think about succession planning from a holistic point of view. Third, even though all closely held businesses have to transition, statistics show that only 40% of owners actually have a succession plan in place. So for whatever reason, they don't, want to think about it or maybe they're putting it off or they don't know what to do but all of them are going to have to face that at some point in the future and of those owners who don't have a plan only 47 percent believe it's necessary to have a plan so the majority don't even think it's important to do so hopefully by the end of this webinar we can help to convince you why it's an important thing to do to put a plan in place and we truly believe that the key to a successful exit strategy lies in preparation. Successful exits are not short-term ventures. They're thoughtfully planned out years in advance, even five plus years in advance. And so as we here at AGH have thought about succession planning from a high level, we've identified four key areas of strategic assessment which need to be addressed in order for a successful transition to happen. And so first of all, they are personal readiness. Are you ready financially, mentally, and emotionally to step away from your business? Second, is your business ready to transition? Are you following best practices? Third, marketability. How easy is it going to be to sell your business? How many potential buyers are there? And then the last area we generally look at is family readiness. Many closely held businesses are also family owned, which brings an extra dynamic that provides a lot of benefits but also some additional challenges. So is your family business ready if you are a family business to make that transition? And as each of the three of us speak today from our, our own unique perspectives and skill sets, we're going to refer back to this framework to show how we fit in. And if we're able to successfully address each of these areas, we believe that you'll be able to see success in your succession, which might include a maximized business value being set up for future success for the business, having a secured financial future for yourself in the future, having your own personal purpose for the future, and having healthy relationships with your family and others that are around you. So we know that each situation is different, but we think that the, the measures of success that are here on the screen are ones that everyone would really seek to have. So 
hopefully by the end of today, we'll be able to give you an idea of how you can see some of these successes in, in the future. So Ryan right now is gonna dive into more details as we look into the personal financial side of succession plans. Thanks, Daniel. And uh, thanks everybody for taking the time again to listen to the content in the webinar. Again, uh, my name is Brian Ginch. I'm one of our CFP practitioners and lead our investment team with our private wealth and currently head up our comprehensive wealth planning service. So you signed on to a webinar that's addressing the topic of succession and exit planning for a business. And the first guy they throw at you is a wealth advisor. And after a year like 2018, I feel like that's probably not the person you want to talk to right now. So why me? Well, our hope is that through some of my slides today, you can see the value in doing some personal readiness and self-assessment prior to engaging in a transition or succession plan. So the topics I'll cover today deal more inside of our comprehensive wealth planning and not a lot of discussion uh, or content on managing through the current market environment, um, which I know for a lot of people seems somewhat unclear today. Um, so we will focus more on the, um, on the planning aspect. It, it, through this conversation today and through this presentation, uh, we'll refer to a business owner, Susie, who has two children, John and Beth, and, and the purpose is just to help bring more personality to some of the topics we discuss. Okay, again, so my content today will be centered per around uh, personal and family readiness. So we strongly believe that one of the first steps in beginning an exit transition from your business is by, by creating a financial pathway, or in our words, a comprehensive wealth plan. Uh, and there are many parts of the planning process that are key pieces to focus on um, when doing the work. For instance, entering distribution phase. There's a huge difference between Susie accumulating her wealth in her business and then living off of her wealth following an exit. There's tax implications, there's market implications, psychological implications, and understanding how to enter this phase is one of the most important parts about the financial success that you receive later on. And often, the catalyst for a business owner's transition into distribution phase is how their exit plan is structured. This usually depends heavily on if this is a family transition, an internal sale, or an external sale. So many discussions can happen around how a plan is affected by different transition models. Will Susie be receiving a lump sum payout? Will she be self-financing the sale? Is there a combination or is it something different? The answer to this question typically is the beginning of shaping the distribution strategy in the comprehensive wealth plan. And from the perspective of projecting personal wealth, it matters how the money is coming into the plan and knowing what portion of the money can be set aside for long-term growth or what portion is set aside to create income uh, for, for uh, lifestyle needs. You know, we see many entrepreneurs still hold a desire to look for more business opportunities so what portion of the sale can be subject to future entrepreneurial endeavors uh, to maintain a healthy long-term plan for, say, Susie, but also the legacy for John and Beth? We use this time uh, to really incorporate visuals so our clients can see how different transaction types create different long-term results. 
I think another major benefit of creating a comprehensive wealth plan before transition takes place uh, is having the peace of mind that whatever the value is there in the company, it's going to be the value that you need to transition out. We find that planning earlier rather than later will help in not creating too much pressure for a company's value to reach a specific level. Maybe knowing the plan earlier can helps to have a, um, a better understanding of the discretionary income that will be available to cover financial desires like charitable giving or club memberships, travel, and so on. We work with many small business owners like Susie who just want to make sure that the path they're taking in the business will support the future desires they have in their life. So knowing how valuable the value of your company is can bring more of that confidence. Maybe Susie's philanthropic. You have so there are unique advantages to discussing this up front and prior to a business transition in order to make sure that all items are in place to fulfill her personal philanthropic goals while minimizing the tax consequence of the sale of the business and maximizing family control over wealth. We're finding that this has actually been a more important piece today with the number of high net worth business owners who got capped on their itemized deductions from property and state and local income taxes. Uh, and that uh, we had a standard deduction that doubled. That discussion is usually part of our overall objective to minimize the wealth plan's tax implications. One of our main focuses in our planning is helping our clients avoid letting Uncle Sam become their favorite charity and allowing them and their family to maintain more control of the wealth for either spending, donating, or leaving behind as a legacy. Each household will have their own unique tax payment life cycle. And this gets projected in our plan. Depending on what assets are being used for continued growth, what assets are being used for initial income needs, and then how assets are held inside of specific types of accounts, like 401ks or Roth IRAs, or even specific kinds of trusts. Understanding the tax implications of certain events that could or will happen in Susie's wealth plan can lead to customize recommendations for her and her family uh, in an effort to make sure uh, that we pay all the taxes we're supposed to pay and nothing more. One area we're finding a lot of success uh, in our, uh, is in our asset relocation planning strategies. While we did not have software again that predicts taxes, the software does project future tax payments given the current tax environment, and we can even manipulate the tax environment if need be. And so using our understanding of when higher taxes could be coming into a plan, we use asset relocation to take more control of our client's tax payments, and in many cases help them create a less inhibiting tax bite long term. And what's even more impressive, and we usually and it's easily shown in a visual graphs, is not just the potential tax savings, but how that dollar saved turns into multiple dollars saved and grown over the life of the plan. It's pretty powerful. One of the most probably under underappreciated risks in retirement is how volatility in someone's wealth can drastically impact the future value of that wealth. Having software that interacts with the tax codes, uh, with market simulation, with inflation risks, uh, and anything else we want to throw at it uh, can help a client find a better way to use their wealth as they liquefy it from their business. 
obviously one of the crucial risks in almost every household, not every single wealth plan, but in many of the wealth plans that we, that we help our clients with, is how markets, liquid markets, will perform as they age into their plan. Fluctuation in the value of Susie's portfolios that are currently satisfying her lifestyle needs can have a drastic impact on the overall life of that portfolio. There's a well-known financial guru who years ago wrote books and told people that they should expect 12% annually from the markets and create distribution plans uh, accordingly. Obviously, this was before both the internet bubble, uh, the financial crisis. And so while that 12% figure is somewhat unrealistic to any investor who has an ounce of risk mitigation, even a 12% annualized market return does not equate to real live moving markets because 90% of the time, the markets don't give us their averages. We definitely saw that last year. It's either above or below it. And so when, you're at, when you add a leaking income from a portfolio, the down years become more exacerbated and the up years become more muted, leading to an investor return that can be much lower than what the market gives. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that over a 20 or 25 year lifespan, post your transition out of your business, should you expect that kind of return what I'm saying is how the market moves in distribution phase becomes a substantial component to gauging the overall success of the plan. When you take money out of the market consistently over time, your return is a very high probability of being lower than whatever the investments you were in performed. As important as market returns are to measuring a plan's risk, um, for everybody, when we're talking with business owners, uh, the funding of that retirement uh, usually is coming from the business. And so the health of the business becomes extremely important. So if Susie receives, say, a lump sum payment, she may not necessarily have to worry so much about this unless there may be our clawbacks or other stipulations that come in the deal. But if she decides to carry a note or is subject to the credibility of the company to make payments, she now has added another important risk to her personal plan, her company's future financial health. Will the company continue in financial success, taking away Susie's expertise and knowledge and customer relationships? Will there be important employees to maintain in the business in order to solidify better company success? Should that be addressed before the transition occurs or should it be addressed after? Understanding how important the company's long-term viability is can change what areas need to be focused on before or shortly after a transition. And sometimes an overlooked aspect to sell the business, especially when we're dealing with family transitions in family-owned businesses, is how a client wants to equalize benefit as their legacy. Maybe Susie has a family-owned business, but with the added complexity of having John, who's wanting to take over the business and work in the business, and Beth, who maybe is pursuing other paths. So how does Susie define what appropriately is passed to John and Beth? Because John is purchasing the company, does it mean he earned all his future wealth coming without having any advantage over Beth, who maybe wants to be a school teacher? Or should there be legacy distributions that compensate a maybe less lucrative career path for one of the children? Should John and Beth um, be equal in when they are accessing family wealth, like selling John the business where he accesses some of that wealth fairly soon. 
Or is it more important that it's the amount of wealth that is equalized, regardless of when it becomes accessible? These questions can be better defined in an environment with a comprehensive perspective of all the moving parts in the plan. And I know, Daniel, you deal you know, with this demographic a lot in your expertise, too. Yeah, it's a very common problem that we see a discussion that needs to be had is what's equal in family inheritance versus what's fair, of depending on um, who's working in the business and who's not. And each family has different values or beliefs about that. So that's an important conversation to have that really affects, obviously, the long-term legacy of the business and the family. Yeah, it's no surprise, too, because, you know, family wealth, wealth is, you have, there's an emotional reaction right. to wealth. And so the, how it's being passed, I mean, that can have an emotional consequence. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge, huge issue. Um, and that can really create issues with relationships in the family if it's not dealt with properly. It's funny because sometimes you, know, you can have a financial instrument or you can have something in a plan that you can design that can help take away some of that issue. Uh, so doing a comprehensive plan, again, can maybe help create something where everybody seems to be satisfied. So again, spending the time to create a comprehensive wealth plan can really create advantages in an exit transition. Okay, so let's do another polling question. So here's the question. Uh, which of these five values would you consider the most important to you? And it doesn't mean you would say the others are unimportant, but if you had to choose, which of these values would you put at the top? I'll give you a couple, couple seconds to fill that out. So when we're engaged with clients, one of the things we like to do, and I'll, uh, I'll dive into this a bit deeper, is understand our clients, not only from a financial standpoint, but also understand what is underneath the hood that's driving the goals and their desires uh, and, the, um, and just the things that make them feel fulfilled. Because while financial goals are good and creating a successful business transition is wonderful, if at the end of the day our clients don't feel fulfillment or purpose, the question becomes, you know, what's the point? And the reality is we're all different, and we, we place importance of certain values over others. So while a client may come in and look identical on paper, their comprehensive wealth plans may look nothing alike. And as I think we can see in here, there does seem to be a majority that relationships is the is maybe their highest value, but there's clearly differences in, in what other people put as the highest. So again, just because on paper we look the same doesn't mean our wealth plans and our future are going to play out financially uh, in similar manners. Thanks for participating. Also, you have to, right, in order to get credit. <laughs> but thanks nonetheless. Okay. So while finding the financial pathway is extremely important, it is not the only area people should be focused on for their personal and family readiness. As important as helping define values and purpose for our client is, we, we like to take clients through a value exercise, helps them define what they care about, and we offer a lot of resources to our clients to help in def, uh, define their purpose. So why is that important? Well, there's some studies that have shown that retirees experience a sugar rush of well-being and life satisfaction directly after retirement. There's not really a surprise here, right? Because this would be the case as retirement is usually, or, or in this case, maybe a business transition is probably the biggest financially paid goal a person will experience in their lifetime. It, and for business owners, it includes the satisfaction of being able to liquefy that hard-earned entrepreneurial pursuit that they had. 
and, and to see their business continue in the success while they find freedom and relaxation and enjoyment in their later years. It's many of the reasons really that motivate owners to even build, expand, and grow a business in the first place. So the idea of the success and accessing, liquefying that success ends up actually becoming one of the main drivers of the success. Unfortunately, the study also showed that there was a sharp decline in happiness in years and sometimes months after the transition, regardless of the age in which you made the transition. Another study showed that after the initial boost in health from retirement, a retiree's risk of clinical depression increased by 40% and raises their chances of being diagnosed with a physical condition by 60%. We find that when the 10 to 12 hours per day of our work identity all of a sudden disappear, there's kind of a crisis of identity that happens. The reality is many people define who they are by what they do. And if that's the case, well, there needs to be as much planning around reshaping what, say, Susie's purpose will be after she exits her business as the planning that needs to be done with finding the right buyer and financing and projecting out her financial wealth. Because research shows that there's just, there's just a value to doing. There's a value to work that goes beyond financial gain. Better health, less likely to develop disability, suffer stroke, develop Alzheimer's disease, suffer cognitive decline. All have been related to having well-defined purpose. And that's a pretty powerful message. Uh, another study shows retirees are less depressed and happier with greater psychological well-being when they use their work for good, like volunteering. So there's even a study that correlates volunteering and blood pressure. So whatever Susie decides to do, whether consulting or volunteering, she can focus on resetting her purpose as a non-business owner who's contributing to life and to society. So again, having a plan to stay active after transitioning a business will help create a more purposeful and fulfilling life. We have resources to help with this. It's part of our comprehensive wealth planning service. Uh, it's one of the reasons we encourage people to do their, their personal planning earlier. Uh, and at this time, I want to transition over uh, to, uh, to Todd, our, our Vice President of Corporate Finance and our Business Transition Modeling Wizard. Todd. Thank you, Brian, for that very kind introduction. <laughs> Being personally ready is just one component of the succession planning process. Today, I wanna to share my perspective on the process from a business readiness and marketability angle. For many, a succession plan involves the sale of the, or transition of the business. Many of the areas I'm going to discuss apply whether you are planning to sell to a third party and transition the business to your management team or to family members. Although there are many areas which need consideration, let's focus on the following four for our business readiness discussion today. The reason for selling, the value of the business, the timeline for a potential sale or transition, and getting your financial ducks in a row. One of the first questions that Susie, our hypothetical business owner, is gonna be asked is by a potential buyer or even her management team is going to be, what's your reason for selling? Obviously, if she's transitioning the business to her family, the reason is going to already have been discussed and, and be known with the family members. But for third-party buyers or even the management team, 
Susie's answer to the question is going to help set the tenor for the entire discussion. It'll also help determine the timing, the types of buyers who may be interested, and identify potential opportunities and barriers to the transaction. Are you motivated to do something now to fund your retirement? Are there health concerns? Is Susie just fatigued with the business? Many business owners find that the enjoyment of the business they created is faded as the business has grown over time and the roles changed from the one that brought them so much enjoyment when they started the business to one that's now laden with a bunch of administrative tasks. Regardless, the one thing that any new prospective owner is going to want and be concerned about is if there is some event that's occurred or is foreseen which has or will significantly impact the value of the business, therefore your interest in selling it now. Providing a compelling reason behind her motivation to sell the business is vital to Susie achieving a successful transaction. Although there are many areas for consideration, Susie needs to next understand the value of the business so that she's able to evaluate buyers or establish a transaction value with her management team. You need to at least have a rough sense of the value of the business as a basis for either transaction. A daily and accurate recent business valuation conducted by an appropriately credentialed business valuation professional. One word of caution is to be careful against basing an estimate on a multiple of sales or earnings from your friends, business acquaintances, or a do-it-yourself software. Values can vary widely by industry, by the size of business, by the timing of the deal, and the terms of the transaction. This time I'd like you to engage in polling question number three. Question is, within what margin of error do you think that you can estimate the actual value of your company? The options 5 to 10%, 10 to 25, 25 to 50, 50 to 75, or you have no idea. I'll give you a couple seconds here to please uh, submit your response. Okay. Uh, interesting enough, the results in the poll is 32% have no idea, 27% think that within 10 to 24, and 23% within uh, 25 to 49%. Again, thank you for responding. In a recent Washington Post article, it was found that business owners performing a do-it-yourself valuation of their own business had a margin of error of 59%. That's not that they were wrong 59% of the time. It's that their calculations were off by 59%. This type of variation can have a significant consequence on your succession plan. It's estimated that 80 to 90% of a business owner's net worth is tied up in the business itself. If this is true, it's paramount that you understand the value of the business as part of any sale process or personal financial plan. Yeah, Todd, I mean, you know, when, we, uh, when we're doing financial plans and we're looking at the value, there's a couple ways you look at it. Obviously, it's a big piece of the uh, of the of the puzzle for projecting out wealth, but if you're looking at it from an asset allocation standpoint, you know a lot of wealth management uh, firms will look at that as a micro cap company, 
And if you take that value and then you outlay it with all your other portfolio assets, you know, that could be a high concentration risk. And so just back to the, the reason why it makes so much sense to know not only the value, but how you're going to liquidate that value out uh, because it's such a big piece of their future. Thank you, Brian. That uh, Susie also needs to establish a timeline for the sale or, or transition of the business. As Ben Franklin once said, never leave till tomorrow that which you can do today. Like Susie, you need to decide how much longer you're willing to stay in the business. Are you willing to wait months or even years for a business sale to take place? The time to consider selling your business is before you need or want to sell it. A business transaction is a process, it's not an event. So if you have a short deadline, you may be forced to sell for less than you'd wanted to meet your time frame. A typical timeline for a sale can last nine to 12 months. Keep in mind that at the end of the day, your business is an illiquid asset. Making it liquid takes time. You're only gonna sell your company once. Lastly, Susie needs to get her financial ducks in a row. And this goes straight to the heart of the financial fitness of the business. When you're asked about your business in detail, can you describe it and can you present your story in a compelling fashion? Can you pull up a timely financial statement that sets forth the information consistent with that story? A potential buyer is going to want to see accurate, timely, and well-maintained financial records. Ideally, financial statements which have been audited by an independent auditor for several years. But having appropriately audited financial statements helps give the buyer a peace of mind that the information is an accurate and also representative of the business as it is today. Is your business ready to sell or transition now? Or are there operational, legal, financial, or personal matters that must be taken care of beforehand? These items could include lawsuits, key employee departures, and sales tax nexus issues. You want to take care of these items so that if a prospective buyer turns up quickly, you can take advantage of the opportunity. Also, can your business pass the eye test? Are the offices and showroom or production floor clean and orderly? Your management team or family is already going to know and have seen the physical condition of the business, but a third-party seller or third-party buyer here, it creates an indelible impression. As we've all heard, perception is reality. And the reality of the situation is that a business that doesn't look good or attractive can make the wrong impression to the buyer. Now that we've discussed the readiness of Susie's business as part of the succession planning process, let's now turn our attention to the marketability of Susie's business. Buyers will do an in-depth analysis of the business prior to making any offer. Among those are going to assess our financial performance, the size and concentration of sales, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, the location of the business, and buyer options and availability. Susie should ask herself, can I show the buyer the money? How predictable are my sales? The less predictable are revenue streams, the more difficult for potential buyers to see and understand the earnings of the business. 
Buyers are paying for what the business is and can become. A proper marketing of the business can help lead them to where they want to go. Sales mix and customer concentration will also play a major role in determining the value of Susie's business and the price any buyer is willing to pay. Are the sales predictable? Is the business seasonable? How much of the business is to repeat customers? How much of the revenue is derived from a small concentrated group of customers? Next, Susie needs to identify the competitive advantages and unique capabilities of her own business. Before she could consider a sale, she needs to try to envision how a future buyer would see her business. Performing a SWOT analysis, identifying those strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. What is it that sets her business apart from others? Buyers are oftentimes evaluating many opportunities at, at any given time that she needs to take what steps she can to eliminate the weaknesses in her business and the threats to it and heighten those strengths and opportunities. How might Susie's location affect the marketability of the business? The location of the business can affect the marketability for the products. Is the business located in a busy part of town? It's finally important if you're a brick and mortar business as opposed to a business which generates most of its sales via the internet. Location can also affect the competition she's gonna face from other businesses selling the same products or services. What about suppliers? Without suppliers, she has no products to sell. Her location can also have an effect on the employees as they can discourage or encourage potential future employees. And a tight labor market can make a huge difference, especially if your business is a trade skill, trade skill business that relies upon skilled craftsmen. What are the economic costs of operations? What are the employee labor costs? How about facilities costs? Other concerns can include, is yours a tax-friendly state? Is Susie State highly regulated? These questions are all concerns to a prospective buyer and are part of the assessment process that they'll go through in determining their interest. What are Susie's options when it comes to selling the business? Strategic buyers offer the highest price and may retain a business owner for his or her relationships, management skills, or other knowledge. But if a buyer plans to instill his or her own team, are you prepared to step away from what may be a lifelong identity as a business owner and executive? Many business owners find themselves getting cold feet during a potential sale if they're reluctant to give up some of the visibility and perks of the company running the company. Likewise, are there specific buyers or types of buyers that Susie may not be willing to sell to, such as competitors? If you have goals beyond financial ones, such as ensuring that the business continues on or after you leave, you may not want to sell to a competitor who has simply shuttered the operation. These limitations may decrease your pool of potential buyers, but it may be more important to you than maximizing the final sale price. Are there key members of your management team who may be interested in purchasing the business? It's a great way to transition your business and offers the possibility of a gradual exit over time based upon the structure and percentage of the business sold. Employee stock option plans are also a viable option for those who want a more extended time for their exit. You can also decide to sell the majority of the business and retain a minority ownership. 
This structure allows the business to be recapitalized by a new partner with new energy for the business, yet allowing you to take some chips off the table. It also provides an opportunity to participate in the upside should the business grow in value. These deals are often attractive as the message sent by the sellers that there's a belief in the business which is shown to the buyer by retaining an ownership piece. Lastly, not all business sales are to third parties or to management. Many of the businesses we work with are family businesses with the goal of transitioning the business to the next generation. Family ownership in and of itself often brings other dynamics, including legacy preservation into play, just like with personal readiness and business readiness, it's important to assess the readiness of the family as part of any successful succession plan. Daniel's now going to share with you this aspect of the succession planning process. Daniel? All right. Well, thank you, Todd. Um, as I speak from the perspective of an organization development consultant, I primarily impact three of these areas that we've talked about, personal readiness, business readiness, and family readiness. So let's take a look here at the first one, the personal readiness. And Brian already talked about making a plan for what comes next for you as an owner, which is extremely important because you have to know what you're going towards instead of just what you're going away from, which in this case is your business. And so it's important to develop your own personal plan for the future, like Brian talked about. And I often see this play out in the life of the founder of a company like Susie. She started the company and has been intimately involved in it for years. And when it comes time to transition, especially the management side of things, it's really difficult for Susie to walk away and let someone else take over her baby or, or the company. Even if she's handing, handling or handing it off to her son, it still can be extremely difficult because founders are often afraid that things will be done differently or that the successor may not be up to the task. And so what often happens is that they continue to delay the, the, the decision and they delay and delay until they're forced to hand over control because of maybe a health issue or maybe death at some point. And many times I see companies suffer because of the founder holding on to control for so long and the next generation being deprived of the experience that's necessary to be successful once that founder is gone. So in this case, John, maybe 50 or 60 even before Susie hands over control if she's uh, really concerned about that. Or sometimes the next generation takes over control, but it's in name only because the founder is still calling all the shots from behind the scenes. And this cuts the legs out from the next generation and sets them up for failure again. So while it's difficult to let go, both mentally and emotionally for the founder, it's really important to do so. And figuring out what is next is really the best way to move on. Yeah, and, you know, Daniel, we've actually, uh, and I know you, you, you've seen this happen, we, we've actually taken this so far as to have companies uh, pay for a full comprehensive plan uh, for the up-and-coming owners. So whether it's a family member or it's internal management, uh, it just creates more of that security around getting the Susie and the John financially and emotionally prepared for that transition. It can be possible. Yeah, if the founder knows that there's a plan in place for them, uh, both from the financial perspective, like you said, but also from the management that they have the tools from the management perspective, which we'll talk about in a second, can make it a lot easier to let go for them. All right, when we look at business readiness, um, from my perspective, there's a couple things that need to be considered. And first, your business needs to have a strong leadership team beyond just you. 
So could you walk away from the company today and have your team still run everything or would they be sunk without you there? If you're still integral to the company, then the company really is not ready to sell unless you're just selling the assets of the company or selling the frontline manpower that you have. Um, the bottom line is that the stronger the leadership team that you have in place, the more that your company is going to be worth, especially in today's workforce environment that's so tight. And the more successful that your company is going to be after you leave if you have a strong leadership team. So this is why it's so essential to develop your bench, not only for the future succession of your company, but also for today, for an emergency. If you or a key leader got hit by a bus tomorrow, do you have the people who could fill in? And if not, then your company is at extreme risk. Like Todd and Brian said before, if 80 to 90% of your own personal wealth is tied up here and you have no succession plan for that, that's all of that wealth potentially going down the drain if you don't have a business that's worth anything after you're gone. So in order to start developing your bench, You've, not, you've got to assess the areas of need for your business. Are there key skill sets that you don't have a bench for? And how can you start to cross-train others and plan for that future? Yes, you know, so I'll just say one of, the, one of the, I mean, you think about this is something good for every company, right? right? <laughs> it, you don't have to be transitioning out to be, to be really working on developing the strong leadership team. And, and my point in that is, you know, I think a lot of times business owners they they don't know when they want when they want to sell. They don't right. know, and, and you know when you look at it from a buy low, sell high market guy, right? They all bought low, right? Because they mm -hmm. put it, they bought it with sweat and tears and blood and and a little bit of, and a lot of money maybe, but um, but the sell high is that timing aspect of it. And so you know having that strong leadership team and a lot of stuff that even Todd talked about can really I mean those are things that are healthy to do regardless right. if you're. To maximize your business value, this is one of the things that is going to really add to that value regardless of if you sell or not. So, yeah, great point. So another thing that's really important is to have a strategic plan for the organization. And many companies that I deal with start out with an unwritten, unwritten strategic plan that's in the head of the founder, which is perfectly fine and that's pretty normal to see. But as the company grows, and more and more people are involved in the management of the organization, it's important to have a formal strategic plan that's based on proactive discussions by leadership. Because without having these important discussions, the organization is not rowing in the same direction because they don't know what direction to go. They're all doing their own thing. And many times the organization becomes extremely reactive rather than purposefully deciding where they want to go in the future and who they want to be as a company. So just like in the personal side of things, as a business, you've got to figure out where are you headed. And just because you haven't needed a plan in the past doesn't mean you shouldn't have one now. Because organizations change in their needs. Industries change now more rapidly than ever. So continuing to do business as usual does not mean it's going to continue to work. So consider this as a best practice that you should look into. A final area of importance for the business readiness is governance, which is really just the mechanisms that are required to manage an organization from a high level. As a small company, this is generally centered around the founder, but as the business grows, it's important to get input and guidance from other people as well. 
And usually I see this start with an advisory board for the company that's made up of family and probably some of the founders' buddies. But in order to become more effective in the future, it's important to bring in others who have the right strategic expertise that's needed for the next stage of growth for the company. So the advisory board could then convert to an actual board of directors and other processes could be put in place to properly govern the organization. But whatever it looks like, it needs to be thought out and a structure and system with outside strategic expertise. Research shows that strong governance and specifically a board with outside directors statistically correlates with a strong family business and a successful, successful business transition. So many of you are also family businesses, so there's an added dimension to consider here. So I'd like to know our fourth polling question here, are you a family business? Um, maybe you are, maybe you're not, maybe you don't know, um, but let us know here. I'd like to know what kind of audience we're speaking to right now, uh, which will be helpful. So make sure to uh, vote here in order to get your uh, certificate that you need to get the credit. So we'll keep it open here for another couple seconds here, and then we'll continue to move on as we finish up this webinar here. All right, it looks like we've got the majority of people here who are not a family business, but a little over a third who are. So um, I'm gonna speak here to some family business uh, concepts that I think in general are healthy for family businesses, but just for anybody in general, I think can take away some key points from this too. So many family businesses, families don't communicate and probably in non-family businesses too, there's not much communication going on at times. And uh, this is often around thing, important issues like what are the expectations for working at the company, expectations for ownership, for the timing of ownership changes and all of those things. And, as you notice, those all center around succession planning as well. I was just talking with a guy this morning who um, is not in the family business, but has some uh, discussions that have not been happening around these succession planning issues as well. So it can be hard and difficult to bring some of those up. Um, in Susie's case, she's ready to think about retiring, but she isn't sure about John's readiness potentially to take over. So what does she do? Well. Like most founders, she keeps it to herself. She delays in doing anything to prepare. And meanwhile, John knows that his mom is gonna be retiring sometime soon, but he has no idea what she's thinking and he doesn't really feel like it's his place to ask her. So in the absence of these discussions, people make assumptions. And often they assume the wrong thing or they assume the worst intentions of others, which leads to conflict. So what's John thinking and feeling in this in this space. Well, he's probably frustrated, he's worried, and maybe he's even considering getting out of the family business and leaving because he doesn't know if there's a future there for him. So in order to help with these issues, there needs to be a forum for communication to happen. And the best forum is often family meetings. This can create an atmosphere of trust that allows discussion about the important topics that are necessary to make a smooth transition. And these meetings, can be structured where all family members participate and often are facilitated by a third party who's experienced in working with family businesses. Even if it's not a family business, this kind of forum can be helpful as an owner's forum or a management forum so that the most important topics can be covered 
and people can stay on task and address those key topics that are often left undiscussed until it's too late. Families can also use this time to, to develop a better family governance structure to develop common understanding around questions like uh, what's our mission and values and what legacy do we want to leave as a family and how are we going to make decisions? All of those things. Um, the shared answers to those questions will allow the family to be on the same page about how to run the company both now and in the future and what family members involvement in it should look like and what the next stage of life should look like for the company. Including thinking about difficult topics like um, does the next generation even want to continue in the business or should we look at selling to a third party? And like I said before, what's fair when deciding what to leave to family members? And how do we pass things on to the next generation in the most tax efficient manner? All of those sort of things are important to talk about. So as you can see, there's many things to consider when looking at transitioning a family business, most of which Susie and John need to discuss, but there's not the current forum to do so. So as we near the end of the webinar here, let's review what we've covered today. As you can see, there's a wide number of areas to consider when looking at transitioning a business, regardless of the type of business. And we often tend to focus on the financial transactional details, but if we fail to look at the wider areas uh, that affect the transition, we're more likely to fail. So we've got to really look at all four of these areas. We've got to prepare years in advance and look at the full framework and not just the business readiness or the marketability side of things because you're more likely to fail if you're not looking at things holistically. As business owners navigate these different areas, we found it's helpful for them to have a guide in the process. So instead of the business owner having to be the go-between for the lawyer, the CPA, the financial advisor, the business consultant, and the whole family, an external guide or case manager or coach is really helpful. So think about going to the Mayo Clinic. If you go to the Mayo Clinic, you know that you're sick, but you need somebody to guide you through that medical process, somebody to listen to your specific needs, to design a process based on your case, and to bring in the specialist as necessary. Succession and exit planning is a once-in-a-lifetime event, as Todd and Brian have mentioned. So you should have somebody with experience who's helping you navigate it for you. Not only should you have an experienced guide, but you should also make sure you have the right advisors as well. Think about, are you getting everything that you need from your advisors? Are they capable of getting you through the process and providing you with the right counsel? An advisor can be perfectly suitable for everyday business, but that doesn't necessarily make them suitable for a once in a lifetime event. Um, our own Marjorie Engel has a webinar on AGH University that's focused on choosing the right advisor. Yeah, and I mean, for a lot of people, this is the one time this happens, right? And this is the selling a business once for many people, some people more, and retirement's the same. And, and working with people who this is not their first rodeo, they've seen it done multiple ways. Todd's modeled out multiple different types of transitions. I mean, that can create a powerful comfort level and confidence going into something like that. Yeah, exactly. So as we think about Susie and what success looks like for her, if, we, if she took a holistic view on succession planning, we, we really feel like she would have been able to make the necessary changes 
in her business to maximize its value and to sell to her son, John, with terms and a price that both agreed was fair. She would have been able to create a wealth succession plan that both John and Beth felt was fair and were excited about for the future. She would have been able to set John and the business up for future success, and she could have defined a purpose for her life after the business and had confidence in her own financial future. So we hope that that's something that you can envision for yourself after going through this succession planning process. As we finish up here, as you continue in your journey of succession planning, we've got a couple useful tools that you might like to use. First of all, we've developed a free online assessment to dive a little bit deeper into the four boxes of our framework and to assess your own situation against best practices. So we'll send you out a link afterwards that you can take a few minutes to fill out if you like, and we'd be happy to follow up with those results. We'd also be happy to share a few documents that outline our process for succession and exit planning. So if you'd like to see those, just to get a better grasp of what that looks like, um, email us or comment in the chat box right now and we can get you some of uh, that info for you. So as we come to the end here, we feel it's really important for you to figure out what are you going to do differently as a result of today's webinar. We don't just want you to have taken a few pieces of interesting facts away, but hopefully this can enable you to take the next step. So maybe it's defining your personal wealth goals, determining your business financial health, determining what the actual value of your business is, figuring out your management succession, planning for the future, both personal and business-wise, or maybe addressing family issues that you might have. So go ahead and write down um, just one of those things or what's uh, some tangible thing that you're actually gonna do uh, taking away from today. 